Welcome to Shi'ar Jeshub, coming from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, which gathers for Sunday service at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, will be continuing a sermon from 1 Samuel chapter 14 as part of the Heavenly Authority series. In prior broadcasts, we have seen the miraculous victory that God performs by the hand of Jonathan and his armor-bearer. We have seen Saul forsake consulting God to run into the battle when he hears the chaos in the Philistine camp. Moreover, he makes a rash and prideful oath, declaring, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Jonathan, his son, unaware of the oath, eats some of the wondrous honey and is renewed after his long battle. But the people, afraid of the oath, restrain themselves and are very faint. When Jonathan finally hears of this, he says in verse 29, My father has troubled the land. Now, let's rejoin Pastor Greg. Look how my countenance has changed, how it's brightened. He's troubled the land. And I tasted a little honey, Jonathan says in verse 29. Verse 30, how much better if the people had eaten freely today. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. Verse 31, now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, so the people were very faint. Ajalon, they're driving them even further west. What's going on? They're bringing them back. They're pushing them back to the coastline. They're pushing them back to where the Philistines come from, from the Philistine cities. Verse 32, and the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. So they're so hungry. You see what happens when you set up a false parameter, a false cannon, a false measuring rod? The measuring rod Saul has set up is not obedience unto God to be faithful in the battle. He set up this rod of measure saying, don't eat. Deny yourself this food. Now, does this sound familiar to anyone here in religious circles? When the leadership will come out and say, don't eat this, and vows will be made, you don't eat this at this time, you don't eat that at that time, and other rituals that are done. When that becomes the measure, and the people become hungry and starved for the true things of God, the end result is terrible disobedience going to a terrible extreme. They're so hungry now. They're so faint now that not only don't they eat the honey that was there for them or take from the spoil and slaughter the animal the proper way, drain the blood as they're supposed to, but like animals, they take the sheep and the ox and the calves, they cut them and they start to eat them with the blood. They're not cooking them. They become almost like savages because they're so ravenously hungry. What a foolish thing Saul has done. 
and how it leads people to the wrong, the wrong conclusion, an extreme, a sinful extreme. What should have been a happy victory becomes very sad. And verse 33, in case you don't understand why, in Leviticus chapter 17, it is clearly taught them. And whatever man of the house of Israel, verse 10, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. But of a man of the children of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh. For the life of the flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. So it's very clear, said multiple times over and over under the covenant, under the law. And we're not going to go into all the reasons why. You know it goes into the New Testament. That was one of the few things the apostles felt, the elders in Jerusalem felt, to put upon the Gentiles. Not to eat blood, not to eat meat of a strangled animal. Psychologically, you can understand why. You know, you see a person grabbing an animal, starting to eat it with the blood on his face. You think about the nature films you see on television, how savage, how animalistic. It lowers a person down. There should not be a desire for blood, and psychologically it's wrong. Spiritually it's wrong, because the symbolism is there, the life is in the blood, and you can take no life inside of you. These sacrifices are being made, they're symbolic of fellowship, they're symbolic of a work that will be done later on, but they are not the fulfillment themselves. They're a food and they're a type of the need for the sacrifice, for this poor innocent animal to be a substitute. We really should die, it dies in our place. This life is spilt, this blood is spilt, but you're not supposed to take its life inside you. In the pagan cultures, they would drink the blood, saying, I would want the life of the lion to be inside of me, or the bear, or whatever. In all the primitive cultures, they drink blood. The Hebrews did not drink blood, because the only life you can have inside of you is the life of God. And obviously, we know in a physical realm, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy to drink the blood. That's not, it's not good. There's so much disease in there. So, in a psychological way, in a spiritual way, in obedience unto God, destroying the symbolism that God placed there, physically they should not be doing this. And they know the law. This is a clear part of the law. And yet because of this foolish oath, they've run and they've, like animals, they're devouring the food because they've gone so long afraid of that vow. And you think about in some churches, in all the Christian churches, how when a foolish vow is made, something that distracts from God, from the gospel, from being born again, the pure milk of the gospel, how it becomes a burden on the people. 
And they, they're so afraid because they're taught from infancy to be afraid you have to do this or you have to do that. And they're afraid of God and they do all this observance, not knowing about the true food of God, the honey, the dripping honey of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then at some point the burden becomes so horrible upon them that they just take it and throw it all away. And they want no part of religion whatsoever and they're like these people here that are just devouring the the animals they find, they want nothing of religion because there's been a terrible burden upon them. But they're not reacting to God. They don't know what they think they are. They're reacting to Saul. Saul did this. God did not do this. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. So he, he puts the treachery on them. It's their fault. And what does he do? What we've seen he's done the last few times. He's rash and he's impatient. Get the stone over here. Then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them and eat. And do not sit against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So he's trying to make it right. He's trying to correct it. Not understanding that the main problem is him. The first response should have been, I have sinned. Look what I did. Rather, he places the blame onto them. And so he has to come in and solve the problem now. The problem only could be solved by his own repentance. Verse 36, Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. The people are following him now. He thinks he solved the problem. The problem was with the people. They sinned against Leviticus. He's made them come and slaughter the animals the right way. He's built an altar. The priests are there, so we assume the priest is performing the sacrifice. Okay, let's go. Let's go down by night, plunder them. It's all taken care of. Again, he's not consulting the Lord, is he? He's not including God into this plan. He's not saying, Lord, have we atoned for our sins? that we committed. He's assuming too much, that rashness, that impatience. And finally, then the priest said, and you see here how a little wisdom has come to the descendants of Eli, let us draw near to God here. They're reminding him to consult God. Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God. Now he wants to counsel. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? And there's the Urim and the Thummim. Somehow, however they work supernaturally, to say yes or no, to say blessing or cursing, we're not sure. But we know one thing, he did not answer him that day. So we know that this Urim and Thummim is more than lots. You ever hear them say how, well, the priests would cast lots, that's what the Urim and Thummim are? Because obviously there were stones that you threw, they would give some type of answer, right, one way or the other. So it's more than that. 
the ark is there, the presence of God is there upon the way it normally works. The presence of God is there, comes down upon the ephod, in the breastplate, over the heart, and somehow those crystals, those gems either shine or send forth a sound. Something happens supernaturally to give the answer yes or no, blessing or cursing, take this one or that one. At this point, no answer. Saul gets no answer. The priests have urged him to consult God, but no answer. Heaven shut off. Why? Because of sin. When we sin, it becomes progressively harder to hear the voice of God. Let me say that again. When we sin, it becomes progressively harder to hear the voice of God. The Fellowship of Shir Jeshub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, is dedicated to sending forth the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and witnessing His salvation message to a generation at risk. And it would be encouraging to hear from our listeners. We value your comments, and it is always a blessing to hear from our radio family to know if our program has helped you in your walk with the Lord. All correspondence should be mailed to Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Also, let me invite you to our Sunday service. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle meets at 10 a.m. at the Madison Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take exit 61 off I-95. Go south to Route 1, turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us next time for Shi'ar Jeshub.